Hello, friends. Welcome to a new episode of the Passive Income Attorney Podcast. If you're even a little bit intrigued about investing passively in real estate or other alternative investments or even just starting a business, go to attorneybydesign.com and download the Freedom Blueprint. Then join Epic, our Esquire Passive Investing Club. That will be a great start. Okay, today we're diving into something that's all the rage, man. Cryptocurrencies. You've heard about them. Bitcoin, Ethereum, even Dogecoin, looking at you, Elon. But if you're an intelligent investor, like I know you are, you're probably a little bit skeptical. I know that I was, and I still am. Me personally, I bought a few Bitcoins a long time ago at $600 a pop. Not a bad investment now, but honestly, at the time, it was pure speculation, which is what a lot of people consider crypto. However, you cannot deny the power of blockchain technology, and that alone makes these digital assets valuable. I'll let you decide for yourself after we dive in with Adam Lack. Uh, Adam is an experienced real estate investor turned cryptocurrency, DeFi, and blockchain expert. He's the founder and CEO of Cloudfire Capital and CFC Bitcoin Fund, which provides accredited retail investors with safe, secure, and actively managed options to gain real exposure to the digital asset investment space. I'm super stoked because I've been waiting to get y'all educated on this investing space as it hits the mainstream. So let's go. This is the Passive Income Attorney Podcast, where you'll discover the secrets and strategies of the ultra wealthy on how they build streams of passive income to give them the freedom we all want. Attorney Seth Bradley will help you end the cycle of trading your time for money so you can make money while you sleep. Start living the good life on your own terms. Now, here's your host, Seth Bradley. Adam, what's going on, brother? Welcome to the show. What's up, Seth? Thank you for having me on. Absolutely, man. Appreciate it. Looking forward to this. Um, let's just jump right in, brother. Tell me what's your story. Feel free to brag a little bit. Go back as far as you want to take it. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, I kind of have a I, I came from a financial background. Um, I have a couple other companies that I operated uh, heading into 2019 and 2020. That's when we formed Cloudfire Capital. Um, the objective there was to provide traditional, what we, we refer to as retail investors. So traditional accredited retail investors with a vehicle to kind of invest in the digital asset space. So we invest in a lot of the larger cap digital assets or more established digital assets, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, Litecoin, Chainlink, things like that. Um, and really we just wanted to provide traditional investors with an opportunity to kind of invest in the space safely and securely. Um, we're completely vertically integrated. So we maintain our own custody and cold storage protocol for all the assets that we acquire and hold. Um, so it's been going really well, but yeah, before that, um, I was in, I was, I invested in a lot of real estate. Like, I mean, not to the extent that you do, but um you know, uh, on, on a little bit of a lower level, but yeah, we had a uh, private real estate fund and consultancy firm. And then um, I had a wholesale company, RSL Brands. Um, I started winding that up in 2019 when we were preparing to launch Cloudfire Capital. And then it just turned out that our launch kind of coincided with the very beginning of this pandemic. <laughs> so it was kind <laughs> of like, 
you know, just another barrier to kind of get through, but it ended up working out for us pretty well. So, you know, obviously the, the interest in di- investing in the digital asset space has grown over the past year. Um, a lot of media attention, a lot of mainstream attention. Um, I think our biggest thing has just been, you know, ongoing education of investors and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I, I worked in the financial services industry for a few years. Um, you know, I did business to business sales for a few years. My last corporate job was like 2018. And then I just went out on my own and um, it was the best thing for me. It's been the best thing, you know, since then. So that's that's, that's about it in a nutshell. That's awesome, man. It's awesome. Um, I can relate to you with, with beginning a, starting a business at, at right when the pandemic hit. I opened a gym two weeks before the pandemic hit, and then we had to close it down after we had been trying to launch this thing for two years. And it's ridiculous. But I think similarly, I mean, your, your business is obviously a lot bigger than our, our little gym. But at the same time, it's like everybody's coming back into it, got some momentum, everybody's ready to make some moves. So you know, we right. came out of it ahead, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. You guys were able to weather the storm. I mean, I think that's that was the toughest thing, kind of weathering all of the uncertainty. Sure, sure. Um, and we'll jump back into Cloudfire a little bit later, but I wanted to kind of start from the ground up, given that largely on this show, we just talk about, you know, traditional assets and, and real estate and, and side hustles. So a, a lot of our listeners aren't really familiar uh, with blockchain, I'm sure they'd want to learn a, a more about it. And I think you probably are pretty good at explaining it at this point, trying to educate folks um, about your fund. But um, so let's just start with the basics, man. I mean, what, what is blockchain technology? Yeah, I mean, b- blockchain has a lot of uses above and beyond what we see uh, as far as like mainstream cryptocurrency investing. So uh, essentially, we're looking at blockchain as a distributed ledger technology. So essentially, an open source technology that's um, allows for almost instantaneous settlement in many cases. Uh, it allows transparency into the ledger. So you can kind of see based on the proof of work that, that the nodes are doing. So um, I guess when I say nodes, I'm kind of more referring to Bitcoin. But uh, Bitcoin, I guess, was the first to market um, asset that was embracing blockchain technology, right? And since then, since Bitcoin's inception back in 2008, 2009, after the financial crash, you know, we've seen the digital asset grit space grow from a few to over 10,000. And in such a short amount of time, we've also seen Bitcoin go from, you know, worth almost nothing to $65,000 almost inside of uh, a little over a decade. So we're talking blockchain. There's so many different, I think, use cases for it from, um, you know, essentially the platform that digital assets are trading on, but also uh, settlement capabilities, uh, payment processing capabilities, um, non-fungible tokens or NFTs have become popular over the last year. Um, you know, it, it provides essentially a decentralized, transparent ledger um, to operate really in any capacity that one could think of. Um, with you being in the real estate space, I'm sure you're seeing kind of the rise in tokenized real estate investing that will take yeah. place on a respective blockchain uh, to allow kind of the digital integration of all things real estate investing, right? Um, yeah. So, you know, there's so many different use cases 
our view is that over the next 10 years, you know, Bitcoin, I shouldn't say Bitcoin, blockchain will become one of the most disruptive technologies. So I think we're going to start seeing so many different things from social security numbers and birth certificates and passports that'll all, you know, kind of migrate over and start um, being kept on and operate on a blockchain of sorts. Yeah. So that, that's probably the, you know, the kind of in a nutshell, best way to describe it. But yeah, the use case is vast. Yeah, I mean, you talk about speed and transparency and security. I mean, those are some of the the aspects of blockchain technology that really set it apart. And and you can just use that for anything. I mean, I'm seeing it every day, just new technologies, new ways to implement it into real estate. I mean, I think the first one that people had talked about before was, you know, putting title, land titles in all of your recordable documents on title. That was the first thing that people had thought of. And then it's just expanded from there with, with the use of smart contracts and just being secure and having everything transparent where every, all the parties can see everything and it cannot be manipulated or changed. Right. Um, so, yeah. So how do, how do cryptocurrencies come into this? How, do, how are they born out of the blockchain? I mean, I think obviously the first to market, the first mover was Bitcoin, right? So that's mm -hmm. the one everybody knows. Um, and, and that does play an integral role in our investment strategy, obviously Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum in some cases, one of those two typically lead the pack. So everything else in the space is kind of tracking one of those two assets. We view Bitcoin really as a store of value. We, we don't typically see it. I mean, anytime you have uh, a, a quote unquote currency, you know, it has to go through stages. So when it came on scene, it was a store of value. Then it transitioned to a, a payment mechanism, then back to a store of value. So most people view it now as a store of value. And I think that's why, you know, like in recent news, we saw Tesla rescind their ability to accept Bitcoin as a payment. Yeah, they cited energy concerns, but I think above and beyond that, there's also a concern there with, well, we're operating nodes, we're paying people to, um, you know, monitor our network and our payment network for Bitcoin, but how many people are really utilizing Bitcoin to make that type of purchase? Because what you're essentially doing is saying, I own this asset that serves as a store of value and I'm going to, you know, pay one Bitcoin maybe for a vehicle. Well, what's that Bitcoin going to be worth in two years or three years? You yeah. know, did you maybe end up paying $150,000 for a $60,000 car. So when we look at Bitcoin, we look at it as a store of value. Now, conversely, when we look at Ethereum, you know, we look at Ethereum as a massive platform, almost comparable to Amazon. So just a massive uh, decentralized platform that is almost like plug and play for so many different applications. And I think the use case for Ethereum is significantly more robust than that of Bitcoin, but I think they both serve their purposes kind of to a T with a store of value in Bitcoin, uh, decentralized platform for Ethereum. And um, it'll be interesting to kind of see how the next few years play out. I, I realize there's kind of a school of people that think Ethereum is going to flip Bitcoin and kind of, you know, increase in market cap. I don't know if, if we necessarily agree with that, but I think they both serve two completely different use cases, but they're both extremely valuable, you know, in this, in this industry, in the blockchain industry. 
Yeah, so so the technology behind Ethereum is actually more useful than the technology behind Bitcoin. Is that is that correct to say? I mean, I, I think to an extent. It depends on what you know what your use case is. If you're just looking for, say, a store of value. Now, I realize I think the argument from people who kind of disagree with Bitcoin as a store of value is, well, it's volatility. How can you put your uh, monetary energy into something? that is so volatile and is moving up and down so drastically in price. But, you know, we also have to keep in mind, this is the first and probably the only time for many of us that we'll see the burgeoning of a new asset class. So I don't know if we'll ever see a new asset class form again, like we're seeing right now with Bitcoin and digital assets. So when you see that volatility, it's essentially just I mean, that's partly as a result of the halving that takes place every four years, but it's also because it's in price discovery mode. So it doesn't really know the market hasn't determined, you know, what is the fair market value for Bitcoin? It, it just hasn't. We haven't gotten there yet. I think it's going to take a few more years. Yeah. So you think that volatility will start to reduce and soften over time? I do. I do. I think um, there's been some good studies out. I know uh, Kathy Wood from ARC did a good study on the volatility of Bitcoin, and their assessment was uh, pretty close to what, what we assume, which is that the volatility will start to decrease when we hit a price point of around two hundred dollars to $230,000 per Bitcoin, uh, which is going to put that market cap you know, about four times where it was. So we're looking at probably, you know, a $4 trillion above market cap in order for that volatility to really start to subside. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let's, let's switch gears a little bit. So when you're trying to talk to investors that are, you know, these retail investors, maybe they've only invested in, in stocks and bonds and mutual funds and maybe even real estate, but how do you kind of get them, how do you get them educated? How do you get them over the hump to get comfortable with, with investing in, in Cloudfire Capital or, or just, you know, cryptocurrencies in general? Yeah, it's definitely a challenge. That's been like we were talking about at the beginning here. That's been one of our biggest challenges is just educating people on what the space sure. is and why it would be beneficial to allocate at least a percentage of your net worth into Bitcoin. I think um, the last two weeks, you know, you see things like that. And I think that scares some people, especially newer investors in the space. They, they may have bought in <clears throat> when Bitcoin was at $50,000 or $54,000. And all of a sudden in a week, it's back down to $30,000. <laughs> so I think that's a little off-putting for some people. And I think, you know, we may lose some new investors because of that volatility. But in the end we're looking at an asset that has a 202% compound annual growth rate per year. So every year, yeah, every year you're not returning 200%, but over the last decade, you've essentially returned 202% if you've just held. And, th and that's the biggest thing. Um, you know, we have these offshore derivatives and, and options, and I think they add a little bit to the volatility of Bitcoin, but the way we do it for our fund and the way we explain it to people is like, listen, you know, we are not a fund that is owning proxy assets like stocks of companies that invest in Bitcoin, like Tesla or MicroStrategy. We are actually purchasing the underlying assets. So we actually own Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, what have you, you know, dependent on our specific investment allocation. And then the performance of our fund uh, is directly correlated to the performance of those assets. Now, obviously, we generate 
alpha or we generate returns above and beyond what the market is doing by trading in and out of assets on the short term. But overall, we have a we have a really close direct correlation to how these assets are performing. So, you know, I think the biggest two items that we tell investors to kind of put them at ease is a we're actively managed. So similar to like an actively managed ETF, we are, you know, we take the active management very seriously. When we encounter um, periods of time like we had over the past couple of weeks, we make sure that we're mitigating risk by, you know, offloading specific investments, protecting the capital that we have invested in the fund, uh, making sure that the positions that we do take have, we always have extra strategies in place. And then the second thing is, when we own those underlying assets, um, for a lot of people, they don't have the time or the energy to investigate, how do I purchase Bitcoin? And then once I own it, how do I safely store it? They just don't have the time or the energy uh, to do that at this point. Or maybe, you know, it's somebody that's older and they're just not willing to spend that time to learn it. So that's one of the big things for us because we've integrated our own cold storage protocol into the fund. So we kind of just, you know what I mean? We take care of all of that stuff, all of the storage and the holding and the um, everything that goes into it. So, yeah, I mean... I think education's the biggest, you know, the biggest impediment to what we do. But as we see more mainstream adoption occurring, I think that's starting to become a little bit easier. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, even over the past year or so, you've just seen it just explode and people talking about it all the time, people interested in it, people, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot more information out there for, for people to get comfortable with it. Um, right. So you, you had mentioned Ethereum and Bitcoin. What, what are some of the other cryptocurrencies that you guys invest in? Yeah, I mean, we kind of we're, we're open. We're able, you know, the way we have the, the fund structured is uh, CFC Bitcoin fund has the ability to really invest in anything that we see that would be advantageous to the fund. But we typically stick to the top tier digital assets, the ones that have an established operating history. Uh, so Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano is a big one, uh, Chainlink, Litecoin, uh, Polkadot. So some of those, you know, we also invest in DeFi protocols, you know, like Polkadot. Um, but we try to keep it to, you know, the ones where they have an established operating history, they have an established performance history. Um, so there is a substantial amount of information there for us to go through and kind of, you know, ascertain whether or not this is going to be a advantageous investment. But uh, yeah, I think the biggest difference between our fund and some of these other quote unquote cryptocurrency funds is that we do own the underlying assets. So we don't uh, perform via proxy by like a traditional stock or something. Gotcha. And I just thought of something that's even different. I know you can buy like Dogecoin on Robinhood, but you're not actually buying the asset there, right? Right. So, I mean, some of those platforms like <laughs> um, Webull or, or Robinhood, they don't allow you to hold your private keys. And that's a big thing. And I know, you know, there's a big saying that goes way back in Bitcoin since before, before even I got involved years ago, which was like, not your keys, not your coins. So if you don't own your private keys, it's just numbers on a screen. And that and that's all it really is. I, I think if you're investing a few thousand dollars, that may not be a real big deal. 
Um, for us, you know, we have investors that come in fairly heavy. So when you're talking about allocating $500,000, a million dollars into an investment, you want to make sure that investment is stored away, secure, uh, and custody appropriately. And that's kind of the biggest thing for us. So yeah, you're absolutely right on, on some of those traditional exchanges where they don't allow you to pull your, uh, cryptocurrency off that that's a problem. And I think, um, I saw in the news that PayPal was going to start allowing their users to start moving their cryptocurrency to cold storage, um, like their Bitcoin and stuff. So I think that'll be that'll be good for a lot of the newer people to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, so what are some of the other things that Cloudfire does that that kind of gives you guys an advantage in the market? I mean, you mentioned active management, um, you know, storage and education. Any, anything else? Yeah, yeah. I mean. So uh, we have a couple projects underway that are blockchain related. Um, we're building out some add-ons to our website right now that's going to allow our investors to kind of track uh, real-time performance and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, we have a few different projects that we're working on. As, as far as the fund goes, CFC Bitcoin fund, um, that vehicle is geared almost exclusively towards traditional accredited retail investors. So we do have uh, projects underway right now uh, that'll be essentially for more geared towards corporations and businesses who want to add either Bitcoin or Ethereum to their balance sheet uh, as kind of a way for them to mitigate the risk of inflation, inflation and currency debasement and stuff like that. So since we're already so vertically integrated in that, you know, we have a high level cybersecurity provider that is a partner of the fund we maintain our own custody and storage of the assets. We have numerous on and off ramps in the event that we need to you know, purchase, transfer, sell, liquidate any assets. So since we already have that all integrated, that's why we're gonna start branching out into those more corporate or business-based uh, store of value vehicles. Mm -hmm. But for CFC Bitcoin Fund, I think the biggest thing is really just the transparency and how we operate. Like we're very transparent with our investors. I know I told you, you know, a few weeks ago or a week ago before we had this drawdown, you know, we reached out to all our investors and said, listen, we're anticipating some volatility here. And, um, you know, we may, uh, depending on the environment, what happens in the market, we may have to exit some investments and we may have to really take some extra steps to preserve capital and mitigate risk. And, well, all of our investors are great. Everybody completely understood. We didn't have any issues, even provided the big drawdown we had. But yeah, I think the active management, the transparency, and the storage protocol are like the three huge things that really allow us to be successful and kind of separate us from some of those other um, cryptocurrency funds out there. Yeah, yeah. I think I can identify another one too. You probably save your investors from themselves as well. Because if, if they just have it kind of well, you know, sitting there in, in a, you know, on Coinbase or something, they're going to be, they see a, a drop and they're like, oh, they panic and they sell just kind of when you manage your own stocks and so yep. you buy high and sell low and you kind of protect them and give them a, you know, a shield there from, from themselves. It's absolutely like we're completely detached from emotion. So everything we do yeah. is based on the underlying reset research and analysis that we do and, and based without emotion. So I realize it's hard for any individual investor. Like when you see the type of 
uh, information or misinformation that's coming out of the mainstream media leading up to this cryptocurrency drawdown, that's tough to ignore. It's tough yeah. to block that noise out, but um, you have to do it. So I, I agree with you that that's a huge advantage. And on top of that, another indirect advantage is, you know, if you have a, if you're a larger investor and you're looking to allocate, say, $500,000 into Bitcoin, if you do that on one of these traditional exchanges like Coinbase, uh, you're paying upwards of three, four, five percent to make that investment each time you move it. So yeah. we don't, you know, we don't have that. We have a two percent annual management fee, which we think is very modest given the environment and the transaction fees associated with retail exchanges. But yeah, I mean, that that's a huge thing. You save a ton of money right there just by not having to pay those transaction fees and premiums. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Uh, for sure. Uh, where do you kind of see this going in the future? I mean, there, it seems like there's there's new coins coming out every single day and you just hear about all these different ones. And I think some people that maybe don't have the time to, to stay educated on all this stuff every single day, it's like, oh, they, they just, they can't keep up. I mean, where do you, where do you see this stopping? Is, is Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and Litecoin and some of those more mainstream ones always going to be ahead of the pack? Or is there just going to be every single day more cryptocurrencies coming onto the market and you just really need to stay on, on top of everything? Yeah, uh, no, I agree. I think you're probably right. We're going to see new <clears throat> projects and new assets continuously brought to market over the next few years here. I think over enough time, it's always been our stance that given enough time, many of these projects and coins are going to trend to zero. I think that's just the way of the market, kind of similar to the dot-com bubble back in the 2000s, early 2000s, where we saw a lot of these um, different websites and different uh, online vendors pop up and they just kind of went away given enough time because they just couldn't compete or keep up with the marketplace. So I think that's probably pretty accurate. When we launched the vehicle, I think there was around 6,000 cryptocurrencies in the space. Now there's over 10,000. So it's almost double <laughs> in yeah. such a short, you know, we've, what, the last year and a half, it's almost doubled. So I think that trend's going to continue. Um, I think over the next decade, we're going to see such disruptive technological advancements through almost every sector, electric vehicles, batteries, power, energy, um, digital assets, finances. Um, but I think what will remain when the dust settles are these assets that provide a specific utility that everybody can use, like Bitcoin, Ethereum, some of these other decentralized finance projects where, um, you know, they kind of allow assimilation or integration into multiple blockchains. But for the most part, I think a lot of these, we see them go away. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I like the idea of Ethereum because the technology is so useful in, in different different uh, industries rather than just kind of a, a store of value or a trading value that, that that's going to keep it around for a long time. Right, right. And one of the other things when you had originally asked me about blockchain, like you have... There's so many use cases and a lot of times you just, they slip your mind because there is so many, but there, yeah. there's this thing, you know, built on the blockchain called um, Hyperfabric Ledger, I believe. And I think that's what it's called, but it's essentially just 
uh, for supply chains. So supply chains operating using blockchain technology, which is pretty cool because it allows kind of, like we talked about, a, a decentralized transparent ledger of kind of what's going on and how we're getting product from A to Z with all the steps in between. So you can kind of track supply, track progress, stuff like that. So it's a really cool project. They have a whole site to, uh, dedicated to it. Um, but yeah, that, that's a really neat use of kind of the blockchain technology outside of cryptocurrency and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the possibilities are endless for the, for the tech. I mean, you're just going to see stuff popping up every single day. I mean, there's startups left and right. Um, before we jump into Freedom 4, one last golden nugget for our listeners. Yeah, I mean, I would just say, I think over the last two weeks, we've seen the consequences of not doing research and due diligence on your investments. So I think the best knowledge that we could impart is if you don't have the time or the ability to do the research on the investment, then have somebody like us take care of the investment for you. Um, but just make sure that you are basing your investment choices on real research and real data and not just because somebody who's famous told you it's something that's <laughs> neat or something that's a good investment. Yeah, I can think of someone specific that you're, you're referring to. All right, man, let, let's jump into the Freedom Four. It's time for the Freedom Four. What's the best thing you do to keep your mind and body healthy? So I, I would say, you know, I just try to kind of power down once a day and just I think with what we do, we're constantly monitoring the market. So I think it's it's tough sometimes to, um, you know, to kind of go offline and just relax. So I think from a, men, a men, mental health standpoint, it's important to just kind of disconnect and uh, kind of shut off all digital devices and relax. <laughs> I realize it's it's a little bit easier said than done, but that that's one of the big things. And then I think, um, you know, just maintaining you know, even though we're stuck in offices or stuck in front of a computer, maintaining physical activity. So for me, that's like working in my yard. That's probably my favorite thing to do to just <laughs> kind of shut everything else out and just yeah. uh, relax for a little bit. Yeah. Well, when working in the yard is the getaway, I don't know, man. <laughs> I know. Right. It's like, it's tough, but it, it does feel different because I think you're under like artificial light all day yeah. on, on screens, looking at computers. So it is, it is nice. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. What, what's one life hack or piece of technology you use to be your most productive self? I guess, oh man, technology. I mean, I'm on so many different computer screens all day, every day. It's, it's hard to pick just one thing. I'll tell you this. I, I'm a car guy and I love cars, especially like um, European muscle cars. So right, like right. AMGs and M cars. So I think it's always nice to be able to, you know, this is a, it's obviously a first world issue, but it's nice <laughs> to be able to get into a nice fast car and, and go somewhere. So I would say, you know, the ability to kind of have those types of vehicles is uh, helps me stay productive. Yeah, for sure. For sure, man. What's one actionable step our listeners can do right now to start creating more freedom for themselves? I mean, I think just researching investments as best that you can. I think the big difference between people who work for a living and people who have financial freedom is that 
the people with the freedom have chosen the wisest ways to place or use their money. So I think if you have extra funds and you're investing those and trying to grow that capital into something more substantial, you know, you're going to get further ahead than the person who is just kind of spending their capital frivolously. So I think the biggest thing, and, and I know where my life changed a few years back is when I started taking any extra capital that I had and saying, where can I put this in an investment that it's going to grow the fastest and the most aggressively, but still, you know, mitigate risk and, and make sure that I'm kind of taking care not to do anything silly with it. And that's when kind of life started, you know, really getting good for me. And I think I've seen that with other people as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, invest your active income into, into smart investments and then, then maybe use that passive income to buy the European sports cars. <laughs> right. Right. That's exactly right. If you can't, yeah, if you can't buy those to toys, if you can't buy those with passive income, then you probably shouldn't be buying them anyway. Yeah, I like that. I like that. All right. Last question. How has passive income made your life better? Yeah, I think piggybacking off what we just said. I mean, it's just you get to the point where I think it's just peace of mind. It's peace of mind. If you know that you have kind of a diverse allocation of investments across several spaces. So for me, uh, you know, I'm heavy in cryptocurrency, obviously in digital assets. I'm heavy inside our fund because I believe in it. I believe in the direction this industry is going over the next decade, but I'm also heavy into real estate, um, you know, the traditional markets. I like gold. So I think it's just peace of mind knowing, hey, if I encounter a life issue, a sick family member, some type of problem that's we're not anticipating that we're going to be okay because we have kind of backup strategies that'll make sure that we're taken care of over the long term. Yeah, dude, you crushed it today, man. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Yeah, visit our website. It's just cloudfirecapital.com. Um, if anybody has any questions about investing, please feel free to reach out. Even if you just need guidance, um, our email address for um, new investors is an invest at cloudfirecapital.com. And then obviously we're on all social media, Twitter, uh, YouTube. We, we just started a podcast not long ago. So um, we have that posted on YouTube. We're on, you know, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, everywhere. Awesome, brother. Appreciate you coming on today. Yeah. Thank you, Seth. I really appreciate you taking the time and no, this was awesome. Thank you. Thanks, man. All right. Thank you, Adam. That was awesome. And a great educational jumping off point to get you started on investing in the crypto space. Adam is an incredible resource and a wealth of knowledge for anyone interested in crypto. Please reach out to him directly. He'd be happy to speak to you. Major keys. If you're still a little bit weary, just remember a good rule of thumb for any type of investment that you consider speculative, such as, you know, let's say angel investing is to allocate a small portion of your investing dollars towards it, let's say around 5 to 10%. Additionally, know this. However you feel about cryptocurrencies and you know, their value and volatility, the underlying technology blockchain is here to stay. Its incredibly powerful utility hasn't even begun to be exploited. Blockchain will soon be integrated into every single industry on this planet. So get educated. Know enough to be dangerous because it's not going away.
If you're feeling inspired today, reach out to me. Let's jump on a call, talk about your goals and what you can do today to get started on your journey to financial freedom. I'll drop my call scheduling link in the show notes. And until next time, kiddos, enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast with Seth Bradley. Do you want more ideas on how to generate multiple streams of passive income? Then jump over to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com for show notes and resources. Then apply for the private Facebook community by searching for the Passive Income Attorney on Facebook. And we'll see you on the next episode.